here at IRA Financial. Welcome to another episode of AdBits. On today's episode, I want to talk about private placements, using an IRA to invest in private placements, and what you need to know. So over the last several years, especially in light of COVID, there's been a huge surge in investors, specifically retirement account investors, looking to invest in private placement type investments. Now, when I mention private placement investments, it's important to understand what a private placement is. And essentially, it's an investment that's generally targeted towards accredited investors, which I'll get to the definition in a moment, and essentially allows these accredited investors, involved, including those with retirement accounts, to make investments into privately held businesses, so non-publicly traded businesses slash investment funds slash ventures. So anything from startups to biotech companies to even mature companies that do private placements that are not publicly traded in addition to private equity funds, hedge funds, venture capital funds, and real estate funds. So if you're looking to use your retirement funds to invest in a startup or a growing company slash unicorn that's not publicly traded on NASDAQ or New York Stock Exchange or any publicly traded markets, then the private placement vehicle is the way to do it. And obviously, over the last couple of years, there's been a huge demand. So before I get into some of the rules you need to think about, if you want to use your IRA or 401k to invest in private placement investments, let's first start with who an accredited investor is. Why? Because most of these private placement investments, i.e. startup, unicorn, private equity, hedge fund, venture capital, generally require you to be an accredited investor. And to be an accredited investor, if you're married, filed jointly, you have to have $300,000 of income, or you need to have a net worth of a million bucks, not including your primary residence. So if you satisfy those rules, 300,000 married, filed jointly, 200,000 single, or if you have a million dollars in net worth, excluding your primary residence, and you have a retirement account, you would satisfy the credit investor rules. Your IRA doesn't have to satisfy it separately. What it means is if you personally satisfy it, since an IRA obviously can't have a salary um, or generally a net worth, but if you personally satisfy the credit investor rules, um, then if you have an IRA, you technically can use your IRA to invest in a private placement investment. So, I'll briefly discuss the different types of private placement investments. There's something called Reg A, Reg A+, Reg D, Reg CF, which is crowdfunding. Most of the popular stuff involves accredited investors. On average, about 10% of Americans are accredited investors. Okay, because again, not everyone makes $300,000 a year or has a million bucks in net worth, excluding primary residents. So basically, Reg A+, is, are the big offerings Generally, there's a $75 million cap. Um, there's different tiers. And in those cases, generally, uh, they're gonna they're gonna require you to do to be an accredited investor. There's reg D's where you can have up to 35 non-accredited investors, but you're generally limited to raise about 10 million bucks. And then there's reg CF, which is about 5 million. You don't have to be accredited. So reg A, reg A plus are the most popular types of private placements. And these again follow into the startup, the unicorn, pre-IPO stocks, the private equity hedge fund, venture capital firms, 
generally um, they're going to require you to be an accredited investor and a lot of times fall into the Reg A plus uh, category. So now that you know the rules about who's a accredited investor, who, what type of investments you potentially can do in a private placement, the different types of private placements, the Reg A, the A plus, the Ds, the CFs. Now let's talk about some of the things you need to consider if you're thinking about using an IRA to do a private placement investment. So the first is the primitive transaction rules. Number one, that means that if you're in control of the business or the fund, meaning you're gonna own more than 50% or more of the business, or even as an LP in the fund, your IRA cannot invest. And that goes for attribution for family members, lineal descendants, parents, children, spouse, daughter-in-law, son-in-law. So if any of you or your lineal descendants are gonna control the business, are gonna control the actual fund as an LP, um, I would be cautious and probably not make the investment because you likely could violate the prohibitive transaction rules under 49.75. Now, if you own, let's say 20% or 30%, you're in a gray area and now it's a facts and circumstances test to determine whether the IRA money you're investing is a self-dealing slash conflict of interest transaction. It could be perfectly fine, but if the IRS can prove that somehow the use of your retirement money is being done not to exclusively benefit your IRA, but to actually help you out personally, i.e. needed the money to get your fund off the ground, that's not a good fact, right? And that's going to be an issue potentially. If you get audited, the IRS could use that against you and try to argue some type of self-dealing prohibited transaction, even if you're under 50%. So what happens if you're just a GP, right? You have a venture capital or private equity fund. You control the GP, but you're going to own you know, 2% or 5% of the LP. That's generally okay because your IRA is going to come in as an LP, not as a GP. So you're not going to have the primitive transaction rule. You may want to somehow carve out that there's no management fees or even no carry off your IRA. So the IRS can't prove that there's no self-dealing or there is self-dealing, I should say, but you'll be under the 50% threshold. So that's a good thing. So that's number one, private transactions. For most people that I've you know, worked with uh, over the years doing private placements in their IRA or 401k, you're not dealing with uh, private transaction rules, right? These are big funds, bigger companies, lots of shareholders. You're generally not going to have that 50% threshold issue. Second thing to consider, the big one is UBIT, Unrelated Business Taxable Income, UBTI. It's a four-letter ugly word that can turn a very, very tax-efficient investment into a tax nightmare. And UBITs pop up a lot in private placement deals. This is something that people do not talk about, unfortunately, and it generally only pops up when there's a problem. So what's UBIT? Generally, UBIT, or Unrelated Business Taxable Income, could only occur in three instances. One, if you use margin of buy stock, okay? Not that common in the retirement world because generally you need to personally guarantee the margin, which ends up triggering the prohibited transaction rules. So that becomes another issue. Number two, the big one. You use your IRA or 401k to invest in a fund or business. That's a pass-through vehicle, an LLC, that has business income. Okay, so any business income that is attributable to a pass-through entity, an LLC, for example, 
That's over $1,000 attributable to your IRA or 401k. That could trigger the UBTI tax, which can go as high as 37%. So it could turn a very tax efficient investment, which would have zero tax, right? Because the, one of the advantages of using an IRA or 401k to make investments is it's all tax deferred. It's tax free. So that's the primary advantage of using a retirement account to make an investment is you don't pay tax on the income and gains. But if you do a private placement, i.e. you're investing in a startup that's maybe a pass-through LLC or a venture capital fund or a private equity fund or a hedge fund and business income will be generated. So business income, certainly if you invest in a startup or a, a unicorn, that's a pass-through although we'll get into in a minute. Most of these large unicorns or startups are C-Corps and C-Corps are okay because they block the application of the UBTI rules. So if, if it's an LLC, a pass-through, which generally venture capital firms, private equity firms or LLCs. And if you're investing in that LLC and the underlying business is also an LLC and there's more than $1,000 in net income attributable to your IRA investment, let's say your IRA owned 1% and you're allocated 10,000 bucks or 50,000 bucks of net income, you could trigger the UBTI tax and a 37% tax could be placed on that investment, which obviously is not ideal. So something to consider. Now, in a lot of cases, if you're doing pre-IPO stuff, um, they're C-Corps, right? If the company is gonna go public, they're generally a C-Corp and think of a C-Corp as a big box it's going to box in all the income. The C-Corp has a corporate level tax, which currently in 2022 is 21%. So there's no UBTI tax because it's already boxed in. It's not a flow through, pass through entity. But an LLC, think of it as like a funnel, right? It's, it's invisible. It's a limited liability protection from a corporate standpoint, but from a tax standpoint, it's invisible. So that means you don't see it and it's a tax nothing. So in that case, if you have more than $1,000 in that income from business income, so business income generally is ordinary business income, like selling a widget, selling a service. If you have passive rental income, royalties, interest, dividends, capital gains, that generally is not deemed business income and not subject to the UBTI tax. But we all know real estate enterprises could become a business, right? Not all real estate is passive. So you have to know what you're investing in. Generally on your K-1, so when you invest in a partnership, you're going to get a K-1, okay? The K-1 goes to the IRS. It also goes to the investor. The K-1 will show the category or the characterization of the income. For example, if it's line one, business income, you know you have business income. Whereas if you see the income as uh, capital gains or interest, uh, rental income, for example, um, you'll know how the underlying enterprise is treating of that income. So that's super important. Second way, um, well, let me get back. So marginal by stock. The second is you invest in a pass-through entity like an LLC that is operating a business. Okay, remember C-Corps will block it. So if you're investing in a unicorn um, company that's going to go public, that's a C-Corp, you don't have to worry uh, about UBIT. But if it's a startup or it's a growing company that's an LLC, you got to be cautious about the application of UBIT. And the third way to trigger UBIT is if you, if your IRA invests 
in a flow-through entity, an LLC, for example, that uses leverage alone to make the investment. So of course, if you're investing in a real estate fund and it's using leverage, 99% of all large real estate funds, or maybe 100% probably, use leverage. Why? Because you want to use other people's money to buy assets, especially real estate. That is the real estate game, right? You use other people's money, you super leverage up the asset, and you use your buying power to buy more assets. And then based off the appreciation and the tax benefits derived, you do really well in a real estate deal. So if your IRA is investing in a private placement involving a real estate fund, you need to think about UBIT. You need to ask, hey, is the fund going to be using leverage? And again, probably 100% of the times they will. Even hedge funds. Hedge funds use leverage, right? That's how they increase their buying power and they can do larger types of investments and make more money. Yeah, they can lose more. They can also make more. And that's the whole game of a hedge fund, right? Super volatile and risky. That's the play. So you need to ask those questions. Again, even in a business, well, business is not going to matter, right? Because a business, you're going to get hit with UBIT if it's more than $1,000 of business income. You already are in the UBIT world. Even if there's leverage, because the income is business related, you're already dealing with UBIT. So I wanted to bring these three instances where UBIT could be triggered because a lot of people don't realize. A lot of people will set up an IRA, hopefully not with IRA Financial, because we take pride on educating our customers. But there are other places where you go open an IRA, they try to make it easy for you, but guess what? They're not gonna explain UBIT. And then you do your private placement, you invest in the real estate fund, the venture capital fund, the private equity firm fund, the startup. And then two years later, you're reading an article I wrote or you're watching this podcast slash video and you're like, oh no, was I supposed to pay UBIT? The answer could be yes. Now, in a lot of these real estate funds, or even a lot of these startups, there's not a lot of net income, right? They're in super growth mode. They're spending lots of money. They're burning through money. So ultimately, on a year-to-year basis, there may not be a lot of net net income over $1,000 that you'd have to uh, pay tax on, which is good. The problem is, in the real estate world, if the leverage is outstanding or, or still in existence, Within 12 months of a capital sale of that asset, you have to pay UBIT on the capital gain sale. A lot of people don't realize that. They're like, oh, there's no debt income. And then I'm going to sell a real estate and it's capital gains tax. I'm good. No, if the leverage is still there when you sell the asset, which in most cases, that's the way it works, you're still going to pay UBIT on that capital gains. Now, in the business context of investing in a pass-through business, Generally, if there's no leverage, you're going to be good if you sell the stock. Well, I should say the membership interests, because we know stock and a C-Corp will be exempt from the UBIT tax because the C-Corp boxes it in. Now, you may be saying, Adam, what about the S-Corp? I forgot the S-Corp. So this is the issue. Actually, it's a S-Corp shareholder rule. IRAs are not allowed to be S-Corp shareholders. If an IRA is an S-Corp shareholder, it violates the S-Corp rules under 1360, I think like four. And you basically invalidate the S-Corp and it turns back into a C-Corp. So it's not even an IRA rule, it's an S-Corp rule. So that's why I just focus on the LLC or partnership. And so since LLCs are far more popular than partnerships, I'm just referring to LLCs. So to summarize, remember, you got to be an accredited investor to do private placements. There's generally Reg A, Reg A+, Reg D's and reg CF crowdfunding, 
you need to generally be an accredited investor. If you are, you can use an IRA or a 401k to make the investment. If you are looking to make the investment, remember UBTI and prohibited transaction. Generally, prohibited transaction is not a problem because you're going to be under 50% of the fund or generally 50% of the business. If you're over 50% of the business or, or a lineal descendant with attribution, meaning you add up all the ownership of the family members, that is over 50%, don't do it. If it's under 50%, now you're in a gray area and you got to be a little bit cautious um, to make sure that you're doing the investment to exclusively benefit the IRA and there's no self-dealing or conflict of interest. Now in the UBIT world or UBIT world, be cautious, invest in a pass-through business. If there's business income over a thousand bucks, allocate your IRA, love UBIT, that can go as high as 37%, not very fun. If you're investing in a fund, like real estate fund or a private equity fund or hedge fund and there's leverage, that's pass-through, be careful because you can turn a very successful, potentially very rewarding financial investment into a uh, UBTI tax nightmare. So those are the things I want to highlight. Knowledge is power. It's important before you make these investments to know the rules. Honestly, there's times, <coughs> excuse me, when I tell clients or potential clients, you know what? Don't do it in an IRA or formal care because it's better to do it with personal funds to take advantage of loss harvesting and get around UBIT. Now, I want to mention one last thing. Section 514C9 of the Internal Revenue Code has an exemption to the UBTI rules for using leverage to buy real estate for 401ks. That means if you have a solo 401k, you're self-employed, have a business, part-time, full-time, that does not have any employees that work more than 1,000 hours other than the owners or their spouses, you can set up a solo 401k, invest in a real estate fund, invest in a uh, other type of venture capital or private equity fund that maybe uses leverage hedge fund um, and get around the UBIT rules. Now, again, it's only for leverage involving real estate. So if the hedge fund is using leverage to buy stocks or options or derivatives, that's not going to satisfy 514C9 and you're still going to be subject to UBIT. But if you can get into the solo K and you want to do real estate, whether it's a real estate investment directly into an underlying real estate asset, or if you're investing in a real estate fund and they're using leverage to acquire real estate, then 514C9 could be your solution and get around UBIT. Now, again, you need to get into a solo K, you need to have a side business or you need to have some self-employment activity. It could be selling shoes on eBay, it could be selling uh, art on Etsy, doesn't have to be full-time, you can just make a thousand bucks, 500 bucks a year, <clears throat> excuse me, but you need to have um, the side uh, business in order to get into the solo K and avail yourself of 514C9 to get around the UBIT rule for real estate acquisition and debt. There you go. Private placements could be super, super uh, rewarding. I have lots of clients that have done really well, but you need to understand the rules because sometimes it's better to do it with personal money. So you can take advantage of losses and capital gains tax regime and not get stuck in a UBTI uh, nightmare where you're paying potentially 37% tax on investments that should be uh, subject to zero tax or even a 15 or 20% capital gains tax. So it's the kind of stuff that you should think about before doing the investment. If you have questions, you can always you know, contact 
um, IRA Financial or contact myself. Um, I have a podcast called AdMail where I answer three of the best questions of the week. So you can shoot me questions there at info at IRA Financial or hit us up on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and IRA Financial and um, love to um, you know hear from you and, and address your questions. So that's it on the private placement and using IRA. Be cautious of UBIT more so than privilege transaction rules. If there's real estate acquisition and you're in the IRA and you have a self-employment business, you should consider going solo because that can get you around the uh, UBTI tax on the real estate acquisition indebtedness and um, save you from paying the 37% tax. Otherwise, thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for watching. If you're doing it on YouTube, really appreciate it. And um, subscribe if you have it. Uh, follow us and uh, I'll talk to everyone again uh, next week. Be well.